This series of conversations is generously sponsored by AT&T, Texas A&M University, BP, the University of Texas at Arlington, and PepsiCo. Welcoming Speaker Joe Strauss. Very nice to see you. Appreciate your being here. Of course. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Let me ask you uh, to begin a version of the question I asked Lieutenant Governor Patrick at the beginning of our conversation last week. Are we better off than we were 140 days ago? Well, we're all out of town, yes. <laughs> a lot better I don't know off. if that means that you're better off or we're better off, but, uh, but are we as a state improved in some material way that you can point to as a result of the work you all did over those 140 days? Yeah, I think so, by and large. I'd say we had a good, solid session. Cite the case. Give me, enumerate what you consider to be the accomplishments that would lead you to believe it was a good 140 days. Well, I'd just start with the fact that Texas was in pretty good shape when we got here, and we're in good shape as we left. Uh, we came in in good fiscal condition. We leave in good, sound fiscal condition. Right. Um, maybe not as strong with the energy boom um, tail, tailing off. Yep. But, um, <clears throat> but I think we were careful under the circumstances, um, cautious in policy making, um, didn't overspend. Right. Um, was this a moment, Mr. Speaker, for, for caution? I mean, I, I, I hear you, and I'm, I'm waiting for you to name one of the many big bouquets that you've delivered to the state, transportation or tax cuts. Yeah. I know you'll get to those. Yeah, we did. But, but was we it a those. moment for caution? We were told at the beginning of the session we had more money to spend than we've ever had before. Some people are in a spendy mood, and some people aren't, I'll grant you. But we have ambitions for this state always. Texas exceptionalism, first and best at everything. Did we deliver on our promise to be the state that everybody aspires to be? Well, I think we did. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've been through a number of sessions as speaker now. Yeah. And I've been through some, some sessions that were a lot more challenging than this one. Um, and so when I say we were cautious, I say that as one who speaks from experience. Right. Been in, in sessions more, more often than not where we didn't have money to spend. We had money we had to cut. Yep. We had budget cuts to, to do. In one session, the budget cuts looming... Uh, that were necessary were so evident in advance we started cutting by over a billion before we got here. Yes. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm cautious by nature. Um, used to call that conservative. Um, and now, <laughs> so we come into a session where we're in good shape. You don't get all giddy about it. Yeah. Start throwing money around. You, you're careful in your budgeting in good times and in bad. And I think we did a, a credible job this time of addressing issues that you spoke of and especially in higher education and transportation that are very yep. important to the future of this state. I think we did a, a nice job there. Let's talk all, about all some... In, all yeah. the context yes. of limited uh, growth in spending. Well, well, let's talk about some of those. So to the question of limited growth in spending, Mr. Speaker, the, the budget you passed, you're only obligated to do one thing when you all gather here in Austin, and that's pass a budget in balance, uh, which you did. You like this budget? <clears throat> yeah, I liked it. So did 97 of the 98 Republicans and a whole bunch of Democrats. Yeah. Um, I think it was fair, reasonable. Um, it provided for the key um, initiatives that were important to the governor. Yep. Um, I think individual House members will tell you that it was a budget that was good for just about everybody's district individually. Yep. Uh, but all in the context of, of limited growth in spending, um, the House, I think, probably would have liked to have done a little more in public education. Uh, Senate probably would have liked to have done more in some other area, but that's how you that's how you get through a budget. You negotiate, right. you state state your priorities, and then you work it out. 
There's been a lot of discussion, as you know, Mr. Speaker. We and others have, have looked at the budget that left the House and went over to the Senate, the budget that left the Senate, went over to the House, and the budget that came out of conference. You know, puts and takes always occur in these discussions in conference committee. Yeah. You feel like the House budget that you sent over and the, and the budget that you ultimately approved are close enough that you feel good about the, the end product? You know, there were areas you cited public education was one. The Medicaid payment rate, you all wanted to raise it to the level of Medicare. The Senate didn't. Ultimately, the Senate got what it wanted. You had less money in for border security than the Senate did. The number that you ended up with was closer to the Senate number than the House number. I mean, we're all just probably looking for conflict, right, in the press. Yeah. Imagine well, well, that. Oh, but I can't. Yeah. This is my first time to sit down with you. Yeah. Um, but this would be the part where I remove the manhole cover and guide you into the manhole. Um, you're, you're, you're comfortable with the puts and takes in this case that the budget that came out of conference is one that you're, you're yeah, for. No, I feel, yeah, I feel very good about the, the House's team of negotiators. They were pretty confident in negotiation. Uh, but it is a negotiation. It is a put and take. It is a, it is a, a trade-off. Yep. And um, when you're willing to make some trades, you get something for it. Right. And we did. Uh, and I, think, I feel like the House members, by and large, felt good about what we were voting right. on in the final product. Let me, let me stay with border security for a second. I want to talk about transportation, higher ed, a couple of other things, taxes, of course. On border security, you made the comment at the beginning of the session when the House decided they wanted about, I think, 585 uh, 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 million for border security. The Senate wanted somewhere north of 800 million. That you thought that the House's smaller number was more conservative. Ultimately, you settled on about 800 million for border security. So, are you saying that you think this is not a conservative appropriation? Do you still believe that spending that much is not conservative? Well, I wouldn't put it in those terms, but thank you for trying. Well, but well, I'm, I'm actually citing say, what you said yourself, Speaker, yeah, at the beginning yeah, of the session. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I think the big difference, the biggest difference that, that led to the higher number there was that 10-hour workday uh, right. for DPS. Um, other than that, I think we had pretty much the plan we went in with. Right. And um, beyond just the funding, which has grown astronomically for border security in recent years, more importantly than that, I'm proud of the work the House did early on, like last summer when then-Governor Perry called for that surge to address the, the border issues then. Um, but since that very first day when he announced the then surge, the House has approached border security in a very deliberate, in a very thoughtful way. And um, we, we definitely led on that issue, and in a way that didn't let the debate get out of control. Um, it was from beginning last summer, uh, very inclusive, mm -hmm. bipartisan. The very first phone call I remember, I was on vacation out of state. And um, the first phone call we arranged from the House leadership was with border Democrats. And to talk thoroughly about what border security meant and what, where we wanted it to go. It was going to happen. We needed to pay for it at the time. Yep. Um, and to plan for the future, knowing it was going to continue to be a very high priority item in the upcoming session. Um, but we did it with buy-in from members who live in the most affected areas. And so I'm really proud of the way we approached it. Yeah. Uh, the tax question, Mr. Speaker, uh, you all had planned initially when uh, Chairman Bonin was here a few weeks ago, even as recently as a few weeks ago, he was still working hard to, to see if a sales tax cut would be the route to cutting taxes. Yeah. The Senate wanted a, 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 I would say a property tax cut. He would correct me 
in that Dennis Bonin way, so I felt really bad about saying yeah, and it. and he was right. And he was right that it was actually a homestead exemption, uh, uh, not a property tax cut. I get that. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it was, it's more on the homestead exemption side than the sales tax. Again, that's a case where you feel like, in the end, it's a good thing for the people of Texas. Well, again, it's a trade-off. Right. House had one position. The Senate had another. Um, we had a different approach on cutting the business tax. Yep. And it was clear. You know, I can count votes. And I can count on support in the chamber. I can count on where um, certain things are outside the chamber. Right. And it was very evident um, that the governor, lieutenant governor, were, if we had failed to address anything in property taxes, they would have found that to be unacceptable. Well, the, we, we were paying a lot of attention to the governor's comments that had there been no business tax cut, he would have vetoed the budget. We were wondering whether he would have vetoed yeah. a budget without a property tax, but you, you, you think that it was important from the well, governor's perspective. The governor, yeah. take him at his word, said he yeah. wasn't going to recognize anyone for the bringing up the budget on the Senate floor if it didn't have right. some property tax relief in it. So um, we worked, I think, very methodically through that yeah. and ended up getting the, the business tax arrangement that the House wanted, right. the way we wanted to do it. And House members, although the number of your fellow Republicans, 90-plus, signed a letter saying they supported the sales tax cut, that didn't indicate that they were not for the property tax cut or a homestead exemption. Well, no, but it was a matter tweak. of, of um, where would you go first? What's the smartest right. way to cut taxes? What would have been the most beneficial right. to our economy? And I think we were pretty solidly behind the, the sales tax cut yeah. uh, as opposed to, to the um, homestead exemption increase. Right. Um, it comes with all the problems that, that, uh, and issues that, that Dennis Bonin has so eloquently and so forcefully stated. Well, and chief among those issues that Chairman Bonin stated was that ultimately the amount of money that an individual would receive from this shift in the homestead exemption was actually peanuts. I mean, you may not even be able to buy peanuts with the amount of money that <laughs> well, we're talking about. you can buy some about. peanuts still. Yeah. But, um, but, pretty know, cheap there, there peanuts. Was another, but, you know, one of, the, one of the things that isn't getting much attention was the promise that we've that we followed through with and led in the House on this was the, the um, occupational fee issue. Back when the franchise tax was reformed, 2006, whenever it was, um, before that there was, this, there was this occupational fee of a couple hundred dollars yep. that hit architects and financial planners and right. lots of different um, professions in the state who hadn't been paying them. The, the then franchise tax. Yeah. Well, that fee never went away, even though it should have. Well, it went away this time. Right. And that and that savings uh, to those professionals is probably going to add up to as much as there is or more than they'll see in their in, in, the, in the home in the yeah. home. And it was a several hundred million dollar tax elimination. Right. Uh, okay, well, so ta- we talked about taxes, budget, transportation. You, uh, I know you came in we this done? session, so we're not done. No, okay, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, trans- transportation uh, uh, was something you all came in and said you wanted to deal with. Uh, you, you ended some diversions. You uh, allocated some additional money to transportation without raising taxes. Ultimately, it's a little bit more than $4 billion, right, on transportation? Yes. Is it enough? One of the questions coming in was, uh, you know, were you going to just allocate enough to, as they say, maintain level of congestion, or were you going to do an ambitious plan that acknowledged the rapid growth of the state and the needs that people all over the state have identified for transportation. Sell us on the merits of this plan. Well, I'm the wrong guy to sell you on the merits of the plan, other than ending the diversions, which has been a, a, um, a real um, 
effort of mine. Right. Uh, for a couple of sessions. You, you've, you've, talked about that. That. you've talked about that for a long time. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And, we, and we followed through on it. And that's very important and the right thing to do, I think. On the, on the dedication of the, of the tax. Yeah. Dedicated transportation. I'm not the hugest fan of that approach. It's moving money from one pocket to another. Right. Not opposed to it. Didn't get in the way of it. Let the process work. Got strong support in the house. And you had to Fine. replace the money that you found over here to put over well, here. Someday right. we may. We didn't have to this time. Right. Um, but which is what made it easy to do. Right. It was an easy session to do things like that. Right. Um, the first part of your question was, is this adequate enough for transportation? Right. Clearly, the transportation advocates out there have an insatiable appetite. And, and not just the... And so, not so, just, the answer, so the answer is no, it's not complete yeah. enough. And not but, just... But I will say that it's the last easy thing that I can think of we can do. Anything that happens after this will be harder. I think so. Politically and, pra and, and I, practically. I would say so. You know, the, the, it's not just the advocates, Mr. Speaker. I mean, the advocates, of course, always want more on any issue, right? But the, the range of people from Sylvester Turner to Kevin Eltife, right? Mm -hmm. So Democrat mm -hmm. to Republican. How big a range is that? Not a very big range, I acknowledge. Uh, <laughs> not, not a very big range. Um, uh, but to the degree that it's a range, um, to tie back to our previous conversation about taxes, you know, it was said by a few people during this session, look, we have a lot of money we're leaving on the table. We're racing to give taxpayers a tax cut. There hasn't really been a, a huge clamoring for tax cuts out, on, uh, out, out among the public. Why are we not, when we have the money available to us, first taking care of some of the priorities like transportation that might tie into building for the future of this state? Why are we not thinking about spending more of this money on transportation. Do you, are you sympathetic at all to that argument? That maybe no, we should not really. We like tax cuts if they're done the right way right. and for the right purpose. And I think the, the, um, I think the cut in the, in the franchise tax and margins tax was an appropriate thing to do right. for our economy. I wish we had done more. Right. Um, but with all, the however, money, with all the money that you had available to you, could you or yeah. should you have done more on transportation? I guess that's really my question. I don't think so, not in one bite. I think um, <clears throat> Proposition 1 or whatever it was in the last session yeah. um, led to some increase. Um, this one is a healthy $4 billion plus, I think. Um, one bite at a time. Let's see what they do with it. Right. One thing I would want to point out is the good work that, that Representative Ron Simmons did with House Bill 20, yeah. making sure if we're going to give them this much more money, $5 billion plus, um, that, they, you know, that they know what they're doing with it. This is the agency that not very long ago lost a billion dollars the, behind the cushions of their sofa over there. Yeah. So, you know, maybe a little accountability along with more money, one bite at a time is appropriate. Keep them on a short leash and then we'll see how they do. Right. Yeah. When the lieutenant governor was here, he enumerated a bunch of other issues that he considered, at least from his perspective, to be big wins uh, uh, out of this legislature. He mentioned the going to an A to F grading system of public schools. You're glad to see that. I'm fine with it. Fine with it. Yeah. Wasn't a top priority of yours? Not really, but it was, you know, you got to rate them somehow. And um, in our accountability system, whether it's A through F or some right. other thing that I can't ever remember, exemplary or, right. or fine or whatever it is. Right. It, it doesn't, it, I, I think we were fine with that. So, so that, that was not a big priority of yours. He mentioned opening campus carry, <laughs> passing. That was, he, he considered that a significant win for the legislature. You? Well, I think the way we did it was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, it was thoughtful. Yeah. Um, it was not an easy bill yeah. to deal with. Right. There were legitimate issues there that I think in the final product have been addressed better than they might have been had we not taken our time and right. been as thoughtful about it in the House as we were. 
Um, you know, what works at Sol Ross University may not be the same thing that works so well at San Antonio College. And you've given some flexibility in the way Campus Carry passed to... That was the intention. And that, and that was yeah. the intention. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I could go down the list of issues here. I, what I'm struck by is your standard stock, low highs, high lows, even keel response. It's fine. It's fine. What are you enthusiastic about? What, what, what <clears throat> other than getting out of here at 9 o'clock, what... <laughs> what? Yes, it's okay. Um, We've no, all looked at our watch okay. in cases right. like this. I mean, it's I'll, fine. I'll, what, what are you enthusiastic about that came out of the session? I, 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 leave us with something that we as a state can be excited about as opposed to, yeah, that's okay. Well, I'm excited about, I'm excited about the culture of the Texas House, how we work together. Have really? Very, have you, have you talked different. to Patricia Harless recently? Yeah, I talked to her a couple days ago. Right? Can I read I'm, you her I'm, quote? I'm, I'm sick that she's leaving. But... Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm just really disappointed. This is, of course, State Representative Patricia Harless, who announced yesterday she's not running again for the legislature. I'm just really disappointed in the way Republicans act in the Texas House. People need to know that consensus and moderation and working across the aisle is not a bad thing. Some Republicans cater to the 4 to 5% who vote in the Republican primaries. That's not who we represent. We represent people in our districts. She is essentially diagnosing something that is broken in the House. You think the culture of the House is is working. She seems to think it's not working. Well, at the end of 140 days, when you've been followed around by these, these unattractive people with their hidden cameras, with their, with their uh, especially for women, being, being tracked around like that, being asked inappropriate questions, is something you're not going to leave here maybe with the same attitude I leave here with. Do you think maybe she should have waited to decide whether to run again, take a couple of weeks I think off? It's usually, I think it's usually a good idea for everyone to go home for a while and wait for the veto period, wait to see what we really passed and what really, yeah. really didn't. But um, she, she's been contemplating leaving for a good while now. Um, what she also may not have said in what you're reading from, but what she told me, is that she, she plans to stay active in politics. And she thinks she can have as big an effect on the way politics is practiced today from the outside as she could from the inside. Yep. So I take that as, as a good thing, that she's going to continue to be engaged. She's not leaving here saying, I never want to have anything to do with politics again. Right. She wants to be engaged the way she was before she was elected, the way, before, the way I was engaged before, you got before I was elected, the way my mother and her mother were engaged in Republican politics before we became elected officials. Not everything has to happen up here. Not everything has to happen within the chamber. Uh, but what happens outside the chamber affects what happens inside of it. And that was the point I was trying to make, is that in this era where you have really ugly politics going on by these outside groups, yep. internally in the Texas House, I would argue that it brings us closer together. And Republicans, Democrats, across the spectrum, there may be a few outliers there, but you know who they are. Mm -hmm. um, but by and large, by and large, the House was very unified from the first day of the session to the last day when they were Hugs and smiles and looking forward to doing right. this again. And people who don't agree on things over yeah. the course of 140 days, that's nonetheless, part, getting that's, along. That's how, that's how you make better laws. That's it. Is by having people who don't agree with each other work together. Right. Work through the issues. And when you can't, you don't pass something. When you can, you pass something that you hope is better than yeah. if you hadn't had the dialogue. I asked the lieutenant governor last week about things that were left undone. We've enumerated some of the big things that you did. I've got to ask you about some of the things that were left mm -hmm. uh, undone. Um, uh, Health care. At or above the top of the list of line items in the all-funds budget, you know, cost curve 
the hockey sticking at the moment, still the most people in the country without health insurance. What did you all do on health care? Doesn't seem like much. In a policy sense, probably not too much. Um, you know, I think, um, I, think how, um, I think how hospitals are funded is going to be the, the focus of a lot of our attention in this interim, both public hospitals and private hospitals. Um, I think that, and this is something I, I think about a lot, and I'm pretty optimistic about, is that going into this next cycle, um, I think we may be looking at the first time since I've been Speaker of maybe having a Republican administration in, in Washington to work with us here in Austin on issues like health care where we haven't been on the same page in years. You and President Cruz have talked about this in advance think, of his election? I think, I, think of, I, think, I think Ted Cruz or any of the Republicans running for president would be, um, would be a lot better partners for where we would like to go in health care, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, just stunned to hear, you, to, to hear you talk about the presidential election because that means that in two, we're going to basically do nothing for two years? We're gonna, are we going to wait for the election and the election results before we address <clears throat> this massive challenge? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, legis, the legislature is going to be out, I hope, not be called back. Um, right, but you have an that. opportunity in the interim, Speaker, to, to, to do anything you want. And I guess the question is, I mean, there are a well, lot of people that are saying second half of an administration, second half of a second half, Democratic president, Republican Congress without a veto-proof majority, maybe we should all go on vacation until 2017. Well, I I, Nothing's going to get done. I think I just said that I think the, a very major focus of the Texas House in this interim yeah. will, be, will be to thoroughly discuss where we go on hospital funding, for one thing, right, and um, to see what we can do about that cost curve. Uh, for health care. It's, it's right. completely out of control, and nothing that's been done on the federal level seems to have been very effective. Uh, nothing happened on uh, overturning in-state tuition rates for undocumented students. Nothing happened on sanctuary cities. These were both big campaign issues in the 2014 primary cycle, at least, if not in the general election cycle. Uh, what, are you happy about this? What happened? Well, I, I think we... Uh, my, my views on the in-state tuition are pretty well known. You've actually said in the past you were happy with the law as it was. I think the law as it is is fine. Yeah. And I think um, I, you know, I, tend, I still agree with Governor Perry when he said we, wanna, we want more people to become right. taxpayers right. Um, and, and uh, givers than takers. And I, think, I think that policy is appropriate. Um, I think um, you know, the, the enthusiasm... And certain campaigns didn't translate to enthusiasm during the session. Right. Lieutenant Governor actually acknowledged last week that on that issue, in-state tuition particularly, that he was three or four, four votes short in the Senate of being able to get it passed. Nonetheless, many of the outside groups to which you refer say, well, Joe Strauss killed the repeal of in-state tuition. Do you have your hands on that corpse, as well, they say? It didn't, it didn't pass the House. It didn't come up in the House. Yeah. Um, did I do it? No. I just think there was a lack of enthusiasm. And some of these issues get, get kind of old in time. Yeah. You know, you, get, you, you hear about it, didn't pass for a session or two or three, and then, you know, it's like, what are you going to do about it now? And so what do about what? Is it really right. that big a deal? Is it even, if it were a big issue, it would have passed before yeah, the votes would be sure. there. Same with school choice. You know, the, 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 some people call it vouchers, but the plan that came over, as the lieutenant governor pointed out last week, this time it actually had money attached, I think $100 million attached to it. Uh, school choice in terms of um, charter schools and other school choice items are, are pretty popular in Texas House. What about the scholarship two, program that was just well, passed two, by? Two years ago, yep. on, the, on the voucher issue, there was a vote taken early on in the session two years ago. Indeed. 
and it went down by over 100 votes. Well, I think, I think. It's, it's, I think 60, it was a 60-vote margin. Is that right? It was big, whatever it yeah. was. It was not close. Right. In this session, I thought it was interesting that those who were asking us not to bring up that issue again early in the session were voucher advocates. Because they could, they could count also. I guess so. Yeah. Um, the, the House hasn't changed very much in, in the last couple of years. Right. Um, on that, we have a lot of, a lot of rural members that are not going to support a voucher program. Including, at least in this last session, the chairman of public education, who is a rural Republican who is not a big fan of that program I would, either. I would count him as one, yes. Yeah, right. Uh, on uh, same-sex marriage and uh, at least uh, uh, banning uh, ab- insurance payments for abortions, again, that was a priority. Some said, we need to get this done. We have the votes this time. Nothing happened. Um, again, issues that... Uh, in fact, the House actually passed same-sex marriage stuff. The problem in that case appeared to be the the Senate not being able to get it done. Is that no, right? I'm not, I'm, not so, I'm not sure what we passed on that, other than the pastor protection bill. Is that what right. you're talking about? Well, but the, the Cecil Bell bill, the Scott Sanford bill on adoption, I mean, there were, there were discussions, at least in the House, oh, sure. of, of, of these issues, got over to the Senate. Ultimately, they were able to pass a resolution on same-sex marriage, but, but that was it. In fact, the same-sex marriage groups are now calling for a special session. Or the groups that oppose same-sex marriage, I should say, are calling possibly yeah, those for other a, groups don't want us back. Yeah, no, but they're calling possibly for a special session. Should the Supreme Court rule uh, that uh, that same-sex marriage is is legal, they want the governor to call you all back. Governor said yesterday that he's not going to call you all back in all likelihood for a special session on that. You're good with that too. Oh, I'm more than good with that. I, I guess I guess what I'm what I'm getting at, Speaker, is that there are a lot of these issues, you know wins logged on the board, things that ultimately did not get done. And in a lot of cases, when I talk to Lieutenant Governor, I talk to people who are in the business of grading this session, they say, well, this actually shows that this was a failure of the legislature, that a number of these issues, school choice, a ban on same-sex marriage, which I thought was already in the Constitution, uh, a bunch of these other issues that didn't get passed, that somehow that's a negative reflection on, on you all. Um, you know, the left and the right both took to grade this session after it was over. You know, when Joaquin Castro tweets, this is the worst legislative session in history, I realize that some Republicans say that's great. We're, that, that only validates that it was successful. But, you know, Joanne Fleming, of the, of the uh, uh, gra- head of the grassroots advisory board that the lieutenant governor uh, uh, appointed, Jonathan Sticklin, your colleague in the House, others who say this is a terrible session from the perspective of the right. Can you help, un- help us understand what's going on with this grading of the session? And in the end, does the fact that you didn't pass a bunch of this stuff amount to very much? Well, I'd say if people out there on the, on the margins were unhappy with what we did, but other people within the margins are happy, I'd say we did our jobs pretty well. Um, so that if the <clears throat> outer edges are finding you all unsuccessful, maybe that's a sign that you sort of stuck to the middle of the road. That's what that's, I would say, yeah. That's um, actually pretty good. What would you give this session? I would How, say, but yeah. I would say, <clears throat> before we leave that, yeah. um, on some of the volatile issues that you mentioned, the fact that we weren't um, jumping headfirst into that and, and to, you know, kind of blow up the session with these very emotional, volatile issues, the fact that we didn't do that, um, I think is a good thing in terms of the perception of Texas in, in uh, terms of our ability to attract talent from out of state mm-hmm. and around the world. So we're out there trying to bring the world's best scholars to Texas, best researchers, best doctors. And some of this legislation might have been a, might have been a disincentive for coming? Well, that's, that's the way it appeared in other states that kind of jumped into these things more than we did. Yeah. Um, business community actually said as much during the session that in a couple very, of these cases. Very clearly said it. So, yeah. 
Um, I think our record of being thoughtful and deliberate about the most emotional issues was appropriate and probably a good thing in the long term for our state. In the end. Um, when when uh, you ask people about some of these things that didn't pay, union dues, check off, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, this was a House calendars issue. Heard the lieutenant governor say it himself last week. You know, this stuff would have passed, but it got killed in House calendars, and they either draw a dotted line or a straight line to you. That's sort of the nature of these things these days. But the idea was that somehow the House was went too slow. The House calendars committee killed this stuff. Would you care to respond to that? Well. Anything to that? I don't know if the House calendars committee killed some of those bills. I'm not sure some of those bills even made it to the calendars committee. Um, but specifically with that union dues bill, that was the poorest job of lobbying that I've seen. I don't know about you, but the first time I even knew that bill existed was when I read an editorial in the Wall Street Journal. Um, nobody talked to me about it. Yep. I didn't know about it. Came over from the Senate very late in the session. Came S over se second week of May, I think. Came over pretty late. Yep. Uh, came over in a form that Chairman Cook said was was very flawed. Yeah. Um, if that bill had come flying out of the State Affairs Committee uh, through calendars and to the floor, it would have been called on a point of order and, and dead. So um, I'm not offended by that policy. Um, but, you know, at the end of a session, and we're guilty of it in the House, too. We send each other big flaming bags of junk. And, uh, is that is that what's in those big flaming bags? Junk and the and the, fa and the fingers get pointed. You killed yeah. that. You killed that. It died. It's your fault. Well, right. You know whatever. What's, what's the point at the whatever. end of this? Right. We yeah. know there's what six thousand bills filed and a thousand of them pass. Maybe yeah. Too many. Do we make too much of the House versus the Senate? Uh, you know, every year there's discussion of what is the principal tension point of a legislative session, and we always say, well, it's going to be the House versus the Senate. This time it kind of felt like it was, actually, House versus the Senate. Do, no, I, do, I don't think we make too much of that, no. You think, it's, we, 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 <laughs> you think we made just enough of it this time? I, I, I invited the lieutenant governor to, 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 to praise you last week. Well, hey, how do you think the speaker did? How do you think the House did? Oh, I'm not going to get into that, he said. Do you want to get into it? Do you want to observe? Uh, how do you think the lieutenant governor did in his first session as, as lieutenant governor? Well, what's really important is what the senators think of the job he did. And what I read yesterday was even a lot of the Democrats are saying he's the best lieutenant governor they've ever seen. Seemed to like him. So right? I guess he's doing okay. I, I, and that's, and that's, the, that's the, the, the uh, criteria that I would use as Speaker of the House. What do the members think of the job that the Speaker did? You're not going to venture a, an opinion as to ha what, what he did? You're not going to go there? I worked with him fine. Yeah? Um, Reports yeah. of tension between the two of you or your staffs overblown? Well, we get a little cranky early in the morning, time to time. Right? <laughs> pra pra other, perhaps otherwise, perhaps otherwise, at the breakfast hour? Otherwise, we did fine. And, yeah. and I'll tell you a little... A, a, little story back when, um, I guess it was during his primary, and I was traveling the state, and it was just a small world incident, but I was taking the last flight home to San Antonio from Love Field, and, and Lieutenant Governor Patrick was taking the last flight to Houston from Love Field. I was sitting at, at the bar watching a Spurs game waiting for my flight, and the only other person in the airport was Dan Patrick. <laughs> He walked up and sat with me. We had a very nice visit. That was back in probably February, March, I guess, of a year ago. And, and um, You're still having nice visits after this session? Yeah. We had a nice visit a few days before the end of the session. I mean, So it's all good. Is there tension? Sure, there's tension. There's tension right. between the House and the Senate. There's tension between the governor and the House. The, right. 
you know, it works that way. That's the way the system is. Yeah. doesn't mean it's personal. Doesn't, Not materially different mean, than it's been in the past. No, I don't think so. I mean, occasionally if you have different personalities, it changes the dynamic some. Yep. But the institutional friction is always going to be there. It should well, be there. It helps. Hopefully it helps us make better decisions. Let me, let me flip this around, Speaker. There seems to be this tendency to blame you for everything. It's almost like there's a hashtag on Twitter, because Strauss. Anything goes wrong, because Strauss. Cafeteria runs out of lemonade, because Strauss. <laughs> Toilet backs up in the bathroom in the extension, because Strauss. Rockets lose in the playoffs, because Strauss. Anything that goes wrong, it seems like you're the focus of it, and a lot of that seems to be coming from the Senate. What'd you do? <laughs> Why are you so evil that you, you cause everything bad to happen? Well, it comes with the territory. Um, I'm more interested in results. Um, those who want to play the blame game, those who want to issue ultimatums, those who are just demagoguing all these issues, yeah. they, can, they can do that. Um, but the job of Speaker of the House is a difficult job, and it comes with a lot of blame, yeah. a lot of responsibility. Um, but I've taken it on and, and um, enjoy working with members of the House who really want to approach yep. the important issues that face this state that will have 50 million people living in it in 2050. 2050, like right. Yep. Double the population. Um, yep. Our work is really important, and uh, our politics could stand some improvement. Um, you hopeful and about proud, that? And, I, and I'm, I'm you know, not boasting too much here, but I'm pretty, pretty proud of the work the Texas House has done in yep. pulling people together and trying to change the tone and the direction of our politics in this state. Well, obviously, it's, it's not put you off entirely because you've decided you want to be speaker again. I filed, but I also don't think this is the appropriate time to be talking about the next election. I mean, I just, next I, election I, for, you mean 2016 or next speaker's race? Well, any of that. Well, you started we're, it. We're don't good. file then. If you don't want to talk about it, don't file. Well, I didn't want to leave a void. But, um, well, well, well in, in point of fact, and, and Mr. I always, yeah. I always have done that. Right. I've filed, you know, quietly. Right. Consistently, out, you've always, a, we, we went back and looked. Yeah, Consistently, you file a, at this point. I didn't put out a press release, but you guys found it, found the filing. So no. I think it's really appropriate right now for people to go home, get reacquainted with their families, right. get back in their businesses, yep. um, go see what the governor vetoes of the work we did right. and uh, what, he, what he signs. And sort of let, let some time pass. Let it soak in. Right. And then there's time for politics. Well, but one of the things that this announcement that you intended to file did was take the conversation, the, you know, the bubble, which is between here and that Starbucks attempt in Congress, where all the business <laughs> of the state is transacted. There was some discussion, well, maybe Strauss is not going to run again. Well, since you can't file for re-election until November, you haven't technically announced you're running again. But if you're filing for speaker again, duh, right? You are running again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's now off to, to that sort of off the table. Clear, clearly, though, in other cases, in other places, the conversation about 2016, whether you want it to be taking place or not, is taking place. Uh, Garen's going to have an opponent. Cook's going to have an opponent. Keffer's going to have an opponent. Uh, but, you know, Matt Rinaldi's going to have an opponent. You know, there are other people. There's some discussion that John Frulo may have an opponent. Politics is broken out all over, inevitably, now that the session is over. I asked the lieutenant governor last week, Frazier's retiring. There's some speculation about Eltife. You're going to have competitive primaries, at least in the case of Frazier, but you may even have one in the case of Eltife, even if Eltife stays. Your bestie, David Simpson, may run against, uh, may run against Eltife. Uh, are you going to get in those primaries? No. I'm going to stay out of those primaries. Oh, you're not going to even support your incumbents? No. I'm going to stay out. I'm going to ask you the same question. 
You've got Mr. McNutt running against Byron Cook. You've got I somebody. Be, I won't be supporting Mr. McNutt. Well, I understand that. But my point is, are you going to support? You can choose not to support opponents, but will you actively support, campaign for, your chairman, your allies? He won't support his incumbents. Will you support your incumbents? Of course. So you will get involved in competitive primaries where yeah. you have an oh, incumbent. I have. Yeah. I get, I, I, get in, I get involved in competitive primaries where there are challenges to people who have been loyal on the team that have had success in the House. Does that extend past the Republican Party? So if uh, you have a Democratic chair, Carol Alvarado gets, a chair, gets a, an opponent, no, Garnet gets an opponent. No, no, no. Will no. you support those guys? No, I won't get involved in their primaries, but I, my policy has been not to oppose an incumbent of either party. So Bennett Ratliff comes to you and says, Matt Rinaldi was a thorn in your side. One of the 19 made your life difficult during the session. He probably loves to hear that. Uh, Bennett Ratliff says, wouldn't you like to have me back in the House? I'm challenging Rinaldi. Come support me. No. I doubt that he would ask me. He knows what my, what my policy is. Right. Um, but What if Rinaldi asked you to support Ratliff? <laughs> well... Might be good yeah, for that, Rinaldi, that issue, that issue is worth pondering. That hadn't come up yet. <laughs> <laughs> might be. He might actually make that ask. There are exceptions to every rule, I suppose. Right, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Um, how did the governor do this session? I think he did fine. He, he, Again uh, with the he fine. Had, okay, he did well. Okay. He got, he got all of his, he got all of, all of his, his priority issues addressed. And I think he felt good about it. The House felt good about supporting him. There was a discussion during the session. Where is the governor? What's he doing? He's not getting into this stuff. Looks smart after the, after the fact. <laughs> but do you think that there was, you know, did, did he strike you temperamentally as different from governor? Well, you only work with Perry as, uh, in, the, in the past as governor and speaker. Yeah. But did, did his involvement level, the calibration of it during the session, feel right to you looking back over your shoulder? Yeah, I think he was pretty involved. Yeah. Staff was very involved. Um, he um, engaged very much in the, in the early childhood education initiative. Right. That was helpful. Um, and you think we did we, enough we, on that, by the way? We didn't talk about pre-K as a win. Yeah. A lot of people are claiming pre-K as a win. A lot of people who are for pre-K say, yeah, but you only went half day. Even that communist bastion of Oklahoma has decided that half day pre-K doesn't work. They've switched to full day pre-K. We actually didn't do enough on pre-K. What do you say about that? Well, I think I supported what we did. Um, Should we have done more? I think it was a good step. Well, it was debatable. I think the House would have supported maybe doing more. Um, But we're happy with what we did and take it as a victory that that early childhood education is a priority. Yep. And I'm very glad that it's a priority for the new governor. You you look at the governor's emergency items, he pretty much ticked everything off. Do you think he can claim a victory on ethics? I know a lot of people are saying that the death of SB 19 notwithstanding, it was a good session for ethics. There are a lot of people who disagree with that, that it was well, a good passed, session for We passed several bills mainly dealing with uh, conflicts of interest. We passed several bills dealing with state contracting, which is another issue that during this um, interim I think is going to be getting a lot of attention, as it should. Came into the session with the Health and Human Services contracting right. being a, a pretty, pretty big scandal. Yep. My fear is that that's only the tip of the iceberg of what's really out there. And I think in this interim, we have to get more into that. When you look, you're going to discover more. I think we might. Yeah. Uh, Hard to believe that we won't. Yeah. Uh, But uh, because we only discovered this one. Right. Because the media discovered it for us. If we look ourselves, no telling what we might find. Yeah. Uh, But we passed some bills to try to address those issues in some way. Probably going to need to do more in the future. Um, The SB 19 um, 
bill that failed was, I mean, everybody could see that coming. Yep. It, was the big, it was the big clash between the House and the Senate over the dark money issue. Well, the lieutenant governor clearly is not for dark money. In fact, he said last no, week... No, he's all for it. He said, well, no, he's for, he may be for receiving dark money. I'm saying he's not, he's not, he's not for opposing yeah. dark money. In fact, said specifically right. that he would have ensured that before the governor got to veto that bill had it passed, he would have exercised his own veto by making sure it didn't come up. So governor's opposed to it, he said after the fact. Lieutenant governor's opposed to it. Would you have been comfortable with a bill that had a dark money ban in it coming to the floor of the House? It did. Well, but my, my, my point is, do you have any personal problem? I guess what I'm saying, I know it did, but my point is, do you have any personal issue with it the way that the lieutenant governor personally opposes it? Or the governor well, personally, personally opposes for it? it? You are personally for a dark money ban. I am for reforms in our finance system where um, my, my philosophy on, on, on campaign finance is pretty simple. Yep. I'm not a legal scholar, and I'm not right. going to, you know, can't pretend to argue the, the Supreme Court Citizens United thing or any of that. My personal philosophy is that we should have unlimited campaign donations and immediate and full transparency. Disclosure. Disclosure. Yeah. It's the, be it's the best disinfectant. Right. And... Um, I think that would probably do more to clean up our messes than anything. If but that's un, the case, un, yeah. unlimited, yeah. unlimited funding. Right. Let people give as much as they want, but let the public know who's giving. Who's it. giving? Let them decide whether they think their motives are good or not. Right. If disclosure is so good, Mr. Speaker, why in the heck doesn't the legislature vote to digitize the personal financial disclosure forms that you file with the Texas Ethics Commission? We do it because we think it's a public service, but we shouldn't have to do it. The question is, why won't the legislature, if disclosure is such a good thing, why don't you all just put all your personal financial disclosures online? I don't have any problem with that. Why does the House and the Senate seem to have a problem with that? I, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. You personally would not have a problem if no. that passed, right? What about the spousal loophole? A lot of discussion of this at the end of the session. What is that? Well, so let's say Mrs. Strauss has business... Uh, well, I can stop you right there. Right. She has no business. But. Right. Okay, but, let's say, but let's say Mrs. Strauss has business, has, has income generation that somehow is, in, is intermingled with what might be state policy or policy that the legislature decides. That, at the moment, mm -hmm. is not something that we, as the public, get to know according to the... There's a loophole that allows spouses' who, income sources not to be disclosed. This was controversial. Joan Huffman, senator from Houston, was associated with this so-called spousal loophole at the end of the session. My question is, why not tell us more about income sources that family members, if disclosure is such a good thing? Is that something the public should have a right to know? Probably, if it, if it, if it has an appearance of conflicts yeah. with the public duties, probably should. So you do think that there's more that the legislature could have done on ethics or on disclosure than, than, than did? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I asked Lieutenant Governor last week, a man with no shortage of opinions, <laughs> who are you going to support in 2016? He said, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to sort of see. Well, I don't really have an, a, an opinion about that race. You actually mm -hmm. have an opinion on that race. You've already said, basically, I'm for Jeb Bush. I am for Jeb Bush. It looks like he's going to run. I think uh, he's I think announcing be, on I Monday, right? Or, or a week. I think he's in Europe now. Right. Come back and announce. On the 15th. reports on the 15th. Look, my... My family and his have been friends in Texas Republican politics for over 50 years. Right. I'm loyal to my old friends. I think he'd be a terrific nominee and a great president of the United States. I'm very much for him if he runs. Um, and, and that would be without regard to who else might run in that race. He, yeah. would, be, he would be your candidate. He'd be, he'd be my pick. It, there's a lot to pick from. Well, there sure and, is. And Thank God. God. From the press's and, and, and perspective. I don't need disrespect yeah. for Governor Perry, who I've worked 
with closely for years. Or Senator Cruz. Senator Cruz, who represents our state in Washington. I, you know, I, I want a Republican president. My preference is my old friend. Yeah. I asked Governor Patrick, uh, anybody you couldn't support, since you won't tell me who you will support, he said Chris Christie and Donald Trump. You want to <laughs> give me your do not call list in that race? No, I think, I think, I think Governor Bush is going to be the nominee, and I think he's going to be president of the United and States. That'd be fine. Uh, if he gets elected president, is the goal here for you to get an ambassadorial appointment? You want to get out of Dodge? <laughs> no, well, I guess it depends on where, where he sent me. It'd be, pretty, be pretty hard to send me to a rougher place than I am now. But... <laughs> is, is that right? Yeah. Maybe, no, the, no. maybe the ambassador to McKinney or to Frisco, possibly? <laughs> No thank, um, no, thank you. No, thank you. Um, uh, if Lamar Smith decided in the next cycle that he was not going to run again for Congress, is that something you would look at? No, oh, he's running again. Would you look and at I it if no, he didn't? No, I have no, I have no interest at, at my age and where I've right. been in, in running for Congress. So to Dan Patrick, I, like, I like being yeah. where you can get results. So to Dan you can Patrick's, make policy decisions. You can get things done in right. Texas that, that Washington has has been swinging at and whiffing for years. So why, to Dan, would any, why would anybody want to go to Congress right now unless you were, you know, bent on changing things? Dan Patrick said last week when he announced without anybody asking him, he answered a question nobody asked, I'm not running against Greg Abbott. He said, this is my last job. Is this your last job? My last job? In other words, is this the last elect, you know, <laughs> public, public uh, 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 position that you're going to have? Oh, is gosh, this I it for you? I, mean, I don't know. I, mean, I don't who knows? Who knows whether members want me back as speaker? I mean, I hope they do. I yeah. think they do. Um, well, that would make this your last job, you know. I mean, but I guess last I, I, one for a while. Yeah. You're not looking, you're, you don't have your eyes on something else that I, you want to I tell do, us. I do things one step at a time. Okay. Okay, very good. Let's uh, take questions from the audience for the balance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, for Thank the balance you. of our time. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you're, a, you. you're a good sport as always. I appreciate it. Uh, Agnes has a microphone in the back. She'd be happy to... Take any questions. Please tell me nobody has questions. Woman here in the front. I'm going to take a wild guess that Adam has a question, so you just want to start off to the, that side of the room next. So go ahead. Uh, okay, thank you uh, for your speech um, or your interview. I have lived in Texas since 1963, and my issue is guns on college campuses. Fifty years ago, it never was brought up. I don't even think it was brought up 25 years ago. Kids are not mature at 21. They may not be even be mature enough at 25. So I do have a question. What's that? Why now do you think you needed to pass a bill to allow guns on college campus. This is not the dark ages. It's not the prairie. It makes no sense. Okay, Why? So it's, a, it's a moot point because the bill's passed, but what yeah, do you bills, The bill passed. Look back over your shoulder and bills, defend it. The bill passed. There was very, very strong support in the House and the Senate for it and, with the, and by the governor. Um, but I think you need to take a look at what the bill that passed says and what it does. Um, it gives discretion to, to campus leaders. Um, and to roll back in time to 1963, I'll guarantee you some people who were going to college in those days, younger than 21, had guns with them. I had a gun with me when I went to college out of state. Well, the people who shot back at Charles Whitman on the UT campus in 1966 probably had guns with them on campus, right? Yeah, they did. So, I, look, I'm, I wasn't the biggest fan of passing campus carry, wasn't the biggest 
issue on my agenda. Right. But the way we did it, I think, was thoughtful, and I think it's going to work out just fine um, if we give the discretion to each campus to figure out what works for them. John Sharp at A&M said, we, you know, our kids, it works for us. Well, I think what he said was he wasn't opposed to it. I don't think he came out and said he was for it. I think he said he was not not for it. Might have been a little stronger than that, Evan, but um, at least in private conversation, he smiled and said, we love guns at A&M. That's the kind of thing Sharp would also say in public, I suspect. (laughs) Uh, So the point is you're you're at peace with this. I think it's going to be fine. I mean, it depends on the implementation. Um, It depends on how each campus approaches it. If it, you know, I think I expect it to work, and I expect campus leaders to be thoughtful in the implementation and the planning yep. uh, for the new policy. Okay, Agnes, Ms. Osling, but right behind you. Yes. As a woman, um, in the last three sessions, I would say mm-hmm. I have been concerned about lower socioeconomic women having access to affordable, preventive and reproductive health. That's my perception. What is yours? Well, you can probably make that, you can probably make that case. But on the other hand, um, we have led in the House on more funding for women's health programs. Um, been a bipartisan effort the last two sessions. In fact, I think Jay Nelson in the Senate has also trumpeted that as one of the yeah, wins of yeah, this session, right? More right. money in for women's health. Yes. Um, I'm sorry if that's the if that's the impression we're leaving, that shouldn't be what we're doing. We shouldn't be preventing access to women's health care. We should be increasing access to women's health care and increasing funding, which we've done. So maybe more work needs to be done on that. So when Sarah Davis, your colleague in the House, Republican from West University Place, says, as she did earlier in the session, that the House's action on the closing of the legislature's action on the closing of clinics that provide reproductive services, abortion, contraception, and so on, has the inadvertent effect of cutting off access to cancer screenings, cervical cancer screenings, and other cancer screenings. And that she said, her words, women will die as a result of what the House and the Senate have done in the name of curtailing abortion access. To Ms. Osley's point, do you have concern about that? Well, sure. If that's, if that's happening, I would have great concern about that. And it needs to be addressed. We ought to, we ought to do more than we have, <laughs> even more than we have, um, to address the issue of access for as you described, lower socioeconomic um, women to, to have um, health care and preventive health care. could be a very important thing for our whole, not just for our population, obviously, but for our health care cost system and, and on and on. I think it's a good policy and it's one that we have supported. It's what we've tried to address right. in the context of, of the uh, abortion yeah. debate. You know, there were people who say, again, people who grade sessions say, mm-hmm. Senate and the House did not do enough on abortion this session. You had the votes, rules change in the Senate. Why didn't the legislature do more to restrict access to abortion? Can you pronounce this from that perspective a good thing or a bad thing? Well, Should you have the, done more? I'll let the, the people in that world um, more than I am do that for me. However, I would point to, I think, six or seven pro-life bills that passed. Yeah. You think it was a pretty good session from that perspective? I would, I would say so, yes. Yeah. Got one over there back yeah, there? No. We'll get over there next. Yes. Hi. I would say that one of the areas where the legislature didn't do so well this session is in the environment. Two years ago, you helped shepherd the water um, bond through, but this session we've had 
uh, cut back in terms of pollution process, pollution permitting and also uh, local safety, health and safety rules on drilling. Uh, do you think that the preemption that we saw on, on drilling is going to spill over into the other areas that Governor Abbott made such a big point about before he was sworn in? Um, I don't think it did too much. Um, the fracking ban that you're talking about um, that we addressed, again, I think, I think Chairman Darby did a really nice job there. He brought in people who disagreed and tried to work through some of the issues, um, try to preserve some local control on most issues, um, got buy-in from, from, from some of the advocates for, for municipal government. Um, whether we did enough to address environmental concerns or we're too loose in our new permitting um, permitting approach. I think whatever we did was done to help grow the economy and um, to try to take some unreasonable restrictions away, not meant to limit anybody's ability to, to object to certain um, industrial projects that are being contemplated. Um, I think our record in Texas is fairly good on environmental issues. Um, what about on not, climate? Not, not strong enough for some, but... Um, what about on climate science? One thing I would remind yeah. people, Texas, Texas has had, um, for a lot of reasons, <clears throat> Texas has had the burden of having to do the dirty work for the other 49 states. We have a lot of industrial business here um, that you're not going to find in a lot of states. We're, we have you know, the, the Gulf Coast. We have the energy industry here. A lot of things that lead to doing work here that isn't the cleanest. Um, but in that context, I think we've done a fairly good job of being responsible in how we've done those things. You're shaking your head. Another thing, it's my fault, Evan. But, um, Hashtag because <laughs> I think we try, we try hard, we try hard to, to, to be responsible but not be unreasonable in the expansion of our economy and jobs. What, what about climate science? The Texas state climatologist John Nielsen Gammon mm -hmm. of Texas A&M said recently after the floods, well, of course climate science is a thing and the state needs to be doing a better job of acknowledging and addressing it because it has implications for so many areas of our lives. Is the legislature doing enough on this issue? Do you think there's too much being made of it? Tell me more. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, there's, you know, a debate over whether climate change or climate science is actually a thing or not. You know, the legislature is not done much on this issue. Uh, there's disagreement, obviously, within the building, as there is outside of the building on this. To the questioner's point, did the, has the legislature done enough on that issue? Maybe it's well, done perfectly. I'm not sure what the state legislature is supposed to do about climate change, other than be responsible in how we do permitting and how yep. to be responsible in, in, um, in, com in compliance and dealing with EPA issues and so forth. Yep. You count yourself among those who believe that climate change or climate <clears throat> science is a legitimate topic of discussion? Sure. Yeah, I think climate change is, climate change happens. What causes it is subject to some debate right. and study, <clears throat> but we shouldn't ignore it or deny it. Okay. And um, it's something we have to deal with. And I think I see people from the utility industry here today. I think they've done a, you know, I think they've done a pretty good job of trying to deal with it themselves. All right. Um, over the years, there's been a lot of ink spilled about your position on the pro-life issue. Where do you personally stand, and where does it rank for you on the spectrum of issues in terms of importance? 
I've been asked that question a number of times. Um, once by one of those hidden camera people that I've seen you with um, <clears throat> before we knew who they were and um, asked me about whether I considered myself pro-life or not. And my answer to him is the same answer I give to you, sir. That is, who served as speaker during the most, the strongest and the most pro-life bills ever passed in the history of the state of Texas? Washington State are putting a lot of money on the table with marijuana growing, and do you see what, would, what happened in the legislature this year, and what do you anticipate in the future? This is the chairman of David Simpson Senate campaign right here. Uh, no, uh, all right, let's make this the last question. What, yeah, so, so some progress. Oh, the couldn't we made the last one the last question? No, no, I like this one. And, and, unless you're going to act yourself as pro-weed, I think we're probably on safe ground, Speaker. Um, uh, yeah, okay. uh, legislature did not do much in the area of medical or recreational marijuana legalization. Not, at least not in my view. No, not, not in your in my view. field of view. What, uh, what, what, do you, um, what do you think about what other states have done, and what do you think the prognosis for Texas is or the prospects for Texas going forward on this issue? Are? Oh, I, don't, I think it's going to be a long time before Texas moves forward in that area, be my guess. We're going to have legal gay marriage or legal weed first? Which one? <laughs> I, well, I don't know. It depends on the order, I guess. To one may lead to the other. I don't know. Is that right? <laughs> I would say that's a perfect place no, to leave I, it. But I don't you? see either. <laughs> but I don't see. Um, Speaker, it's, it's, it's technically the summer. You are not obligated to be here. We appreciate you coming and Thank wrapping you, up pleasure, the session for us. Always. Give the speaker a hand. Thank, Thank you very, you very much. much. All right. Always fun. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Fun for you. No. No.